This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We're joined on our program on The Fan, on WFAN, also those of you joining us on the Odyssey app. Good morning. Welcome to the program. I'm Bob Salter. On Sunday mornings, we always try to bring you interesting discussions. And the guy who's joining us on our program today, the guest is uh, someone we've spoken with previously. We've always had very lively discussions uh, with Jonathan Bell. Uh, Jonathan is an employment attorney, jobs expert, founder of the Bell Law Group, PLLC, and he is joining us on our program very timely with um, so many things going on surrounding the topics of um, employment, um, the impact of this whole ongoing um, COVID situation, um, and some other related issues, uh, too, that we'll get into in our discussion. It's nice to have you join us again. Uh, good morning to you, and as always, it's always a pleasure to be on your show. I always enjoy our conversation. Thank you. A little bit of background, if you would, for those who've never heard us talk before, they may not be familiar. What is the Bell Law Group? So we're a team of now about 12 attorneys. Uh, we do uh, two types of law. We do employment and we do personal injury. Uh, there are dedicated personal injury attorneys and there are dedicated employment attorneys. Uh, the employment practice consists of a lot of cases involving discrimination, uh, employers treating employees differently because of race, age, religion, gender, disability, sexual orientation, and things of that nature. Uh, we do we handle wage and hour claims where someone's not classified correctly, like, for example, as an independent contractor versus employee in order to get around paying overtime uh, and things of that nature. Um, you know, I've been in practice now. I started, I started, well, I started out as law officer Jonathan Bell, which then changed his name years ago to Bell Law Group. But uh, now we're, we're in January, we'll be celebrating our 20 year anniversary, anniversary wow. which is amazing. Wow. <laughs> Time flies, huh? Okay. It really does. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe, I really can't believe it. Now, I've got to ask your reaction um, earlier this week. The Department of Veteran Affairs became the first federal agency to mandate um, vaccines against COVID-19 for staff members. Um, this had been something that had been rumored, talked about for some time. 
What does this really mean? So uh, it's really uh, unbelievable for the federal government to do this, and I believe that it's starting out with the VA, and depending upon the spiral of COVID lately, given the Delta variant, that we're going to see this more and more often uh, with federal agencies. Um, You know, the federal government uh, has about 2 million employees. They're the biggest employer in the United States. Uh, Ultimately, the federal government, just like private sector or state and city uh, sector, it's still an employer-employee relationship. So the federal government, just like state and private entities, can, in fact, make these types of policies and mandate that their employees get vaccinated. Now, federal employees do have a layer of extra protections as opposed to other uh, employees that are generally at will, but it really goes through more of a due process procedural type protection. So in other words, instead of just going up and firing people who are unvaccinated, if there is some type of mandatory requirement for vaccinations, they have to go through some procedural hurdles like give them a proposal for removal, give the individual an opportunity to respond, and then ultimately consider that response and give a decision. Now, in that opposition to that opportunity to respond by the employee, Technically, if they come forward with some type of religious exemption or maybe an exemption based on a disability uh, where they can't get vaccinated due to, the, due to a disability, then the deciding official or the person making the decision on the case may, in fact, allow them to um, continue. So, uh, but ultimately, it's the same thing as a, as a regular uh, employment uh, uh, as far as private sector and federal sector go. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Now, people have asked whether or not the federal government could mandate this for all the citizens uh, in the United States, and the answer, of course, is no. Uh, however, potentially states and local authorities can. So that would be beyond the purview of the federal government. But as far as the employer-employee relationship, they certainly can. Hang on for a second. Some people may have almost fallen out of their seats with what you just said. Did we hear you correctly say that potentially local governments, basically, I think you said states and municipalities could mandate that? Potentially, potentially. I've seen um, I've seen some articles on that fact. I don't know that it would ever really go that far. But um, I do believe, based upon some previous rulings I've seen, that the states and the local governments do have that authority. I just don't know that they, that, that um, uh, it'll go that far. Mm. Now, if a federal employee refuses to take a COVID vaccine due to um, what would be cited as a, a religious reason or reasons, is there any sort of idea as to how long it takes for that um, process, the determination on this to take place? Is this something that is done relatively quickly, or is this drag on like think most things in government do? It does uh, happen relatively uh, quickly. 
usually those things are resolved. The, the, the procedures that I discussed are resolved within 30 days. Uh, there are a code of federal regulations, CFR, uh, provisions that require a, a quick turnaround as far as the number of days. But understand that if you don't want to get vaccinated, you can't just go and say, well, I have a religious belief against it. The employer does have a right to request uh, some documentation. It has to be a quote unquote bona fide religious belief. So in other words, if there are, if there's evidence that you've gotten prior vaccines in the past, whether it be uh, chicken pox or other vaccines, um, that's not going to, uh, that's not going to cut it. Um, you really, it really does have to be a bona fide religious exemption. So I find that those are going to be far and few in between. Uh, the disability uh, exemptions uh, may be a little bit more regular as far as uh, some people with certain illnesses who just for some reason, maybe allergies, whatever it might be, that can't get the vaccination. Mm. There's some labor leaders who declined to endorse the uh, announcement from President Biden on Thursday of this past week that all federal employees and contractors are now required to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or face regular testing before returning to in-person work. Um, he also had encouraged states and localities to pay $100 to each newly vaccinated um, American. With this hesitancy on the part of labor leaders to endorse that approach, and they're saying they wouldn't endorse it before they can bargain with employers over how it's going to be implemented, how does that affect employees' rights and privacy, I guess, in the interim period? Or does well, anybody... Well, yeah, generally, employee, most employees are at will. So there's, there, uh, the employer can, in fact, just implement this policy across the board. However, uh, there are some employees that uh, actually have a contract in place. Um, potentially, do, you do a lot of media uh, personalities have some contracts. In that situation, you'd actually have to look at the contract uh, to determine if you, know, you have to look. It's a case-by-case -case basis. You have to look at the language in the contract and determine if that is a proper cause uh, for firing. Now, as far as collective bargaining agreements, CBA and unions, yeah, there's a lot of unions. It could be federal employee unions or it could be private sector unions. There are unions both for federal employees as well as private sector employees. In that situation, a lot of these contracts, collective bargaining agreements, require bargaining. So an employer just can't go ahead and make some policy that changes the terms and conditions of employment. So in that situation, technically, the employer has to request the negotiation of the union and they have to sit at the table and negotiate the parameters. Now, chances are in 99% or more of these matters, if the employer wants to either uh, mandate vaccines or mandate vaccines with the caveat is, is that if you're unvaccinated, you have to undergo weekly testing and you have to wear a mask indoors. The bargaining with the union is not really going to be whether or not, in my opinion, it's not going to be whether or not 
uh, you're allowed to do that, it would probably be around the circumstances behind it. For example, if an employee who's unvaccinated has to go and test weekly, and let's say the, the tests are not available at a particular work site, uh, are they going to be paid for the time that they go out and get the testing? Uh, if it's overtime hours, are they going to get paid time and a half? So those are the things I imagine that the union is going to negotiate for more than the actual policy. I really don't think that the unions are going to have a leg to stand on if they just totally don't want to implement the policy. If they take that position, the next step would be arbitration. And most likely in these situations, given what's going on and the escalation of COVID with this Delta variant, any reasonable arbitrator would mostly uh, uphold what the employer is trying to do. And something in an arbitration process, time-wise, how long does something like that take? Well, that could take a while. Um, I, I've seen even even negotiations take months, and then getting an arbitrator on, vo- on board taking additional months. So it, it might it might cause a delay. Mm-hmm. However, I believe that you know if an employer is very serious about it, they're going to implement it anyway kind of get their way and then have the union then go and potentially arbitrate. And during that, you know, while it's pending, it might even be too late. Hopefully by that time, the problem will be mostly solved. Now in New York state, uh, Governor Cuomo said on Wednesday that New York is now going to require state employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19 or get tested weekly uh, this goes into effect on September 6th. Um, again, this was expected. Your reaction? It doesn't surprise me. And, and, and even though uh, uh, people, some people seem to be a little upset about it, in reality, uh, Governor Cuomo, and including Mayor de Blasio in, the, in New York City that did it before uh, uh, Cuomo, uh, he didn't go as far as he could have. He could have just mandated it that you have to be vaccinated. And if you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice, but you no longer have a job working for New York State. He actually didn't go that far. He, he still said that if you're unvaccinated, you can come to work with weekly testing and wear masks indoors. Now, like I said, he might change his stance eventually, and it's within the employer's right to do that. I think the only one that he actually required the vaccinations for, rightfully so, are medical personnel who are face-to-face with patients. And obviously, patients are the most vulnerable. So you don't want to get a patient who's already sick in the hospital and a staff member uh, giving them COVID, God forbid. So uh, I believe he did mandate it for a very small sector, a very small group, and I don't believe that it can be challenged. And if it is challenged, I believe that it's going to fail. So like I said before, there's really no difference between public sector, private sector, and federal employees. When an employer wants to pass policy like this, it's within their right to do it, just like employees have rights to quit at any time they want, and the employer can't sue the employee because they quit. So it works both ways. So for employers uh, in this day and age, and as um, you know, the variant seems to be escalating, um, this is all a learning process as time moves on. 
employers who want to support ongoing vaccination efforts, I mean, what sort of things should they be keeping, should they keep in mind? Uh, I'm sorry, employers who want to? Employers who want to support ongoing vaccination efforts. What sort of things should employers keep in mind? So uh, what they could keep in mind is, number one, uh, uh, they can issue a policy requiring vaccination. They should be sensitive to the employees uh, who are, are unvaccinated and kind of measure if there's any accommodation. They're not required to under the law, but just from a morale, you know, people ask me, well, what do I have to do under the law? Sometimes it's not about what you have to do under the law. Sometimes it's a morale thing. And you got to think about, well, are there some positions that are encumbered by unvaccinated people? And maybe those unvaccinated people are very uh, important to the company. Can they maybe work from home, such as telework? Or maybe they can work in a, in a separate office where they're, they're required to wear a mask when they're indoors. Um, you know, what's most important, and people ask, well, you know, it seems like it's an unlawful termination because it's my right not to get vaccinated. And it's true, it is your right, uh, but that doesn't mean that it's unlawful. When you make a mandate like this, it's not a mandate based on a protected class. Like, you're not making a mandate based on race, age, religion, gender, disability, sexual orientation. If you make a mandate based on those protected classes, that's when the phrase unlawful termination comes in, and that's where you could start a lawsuit. There are some other examples. If you complain about wages, other types of protections are under the law, you could actually start a lawsuit based on it. But the unvaccinated group is not a protected class. So, yes, it's within your right. Your employer can't force you to get a vaccination, but your employer can say you are not welcome to work here anymore. And as an unvaccinated employee, just go get a job somewhere else. Okay. That brings up an interesting area because – can that also be a condition for new employees? And the answer is uh, 100% yes. It could be a condition for new employees. It could be for existing employees. Some people who don't want to get rid of the unvaccinated employees but want to encourage their employees to get vaccinated offer bonuses to get the vaccine or for the people who have already gotten the vaccine. Uh, again, you're allowed to change the terms and conditions of employment based upon a vaccination status since it's not a protected class. So I've counseled many companies on, when they contacted me, implementing a bonus structure or a difference in salary for people who are getting vaccinations. However, this is a big however, if Somebody cannot get the vaccination because of a disability or maybe a religious exemption. You should provide another way for those employees to get the bonus. Maybe have them undergo COVID-19 training as to how to keep a safe workplace as far as social distancing, uh, sanitizers, uh, face masks, and things of that nature. So you don't want someone who has a disability claiming, well, I'm prevented from getting the vaccine, and now they're treating me differently, and, and, it's, and it's based on my protected class, which we, which we recently discussed, uh, because I have a disability, they're treating me differently, they're not accommodating me. So that's the only caveat. You could make these blanket policies, 
but take into account the people who really cannot get vaccinated. Uh, not You don't have to worry about the people where it's a choice. We have a lot more to get to in our discussion with uh, John Bell on our program this morning. Jonathan Bell is an employment attorney, jobs expert, founder of Bell Law Group, on the web, by the way, at bellg, B-E-L-L-L-G, all this one word, dot com. And um, more with Jonathan as we continue on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. We're talking with uh, Jonathan Bell on our program. John Bell is an employment attorney, jobs expert, founder of Bell Law Group, which is on the web at bellg, Bell. L-G-B-E-L-L-L-G, all is one word, dot com. And he's um, talking with us on our program today. I'm Bob Stolter. By the way, at along at 7 o'clock after I look around the sporting world, and the glory is along talking golf here on the fan. Now, one of the things when we get into this idea of, um, I guess, trying to encourage, incentivize uh, employees to be vaccinated, um, for employers in this day and age, are they required to establish vaccination programs? Certainly not uh, required. Uh, The vast majority of employers do not. However, in all honesty, it's probably a good idea for the employers to encourage vaccinations just for the reason that if someone is vaccinated, they're less likely to contract COVID. And if an employee uh, uh, gets COVID, they're entitled to COVID leave. And going further, if they come into work and they expose other people, then all those employees who are exposed that are unvaccinated are now entitled to go COVID leave. And the business, it could cost the business a lot of money. So uh, incentives, are something that employers do to encourage their employees. Now, technically, under the law, an incentive uh, should be a de minimis or a small amount. Um, you don't want to make it look like it's coercive. Uh, if it's if it's coercive, the employer might run into uh, certain issues. So you want to keep it as like a gift card, a $10, $20, maybe maximum $100 bonus. You don't want to go uh, uh, too far uh, beyond that. Maybe give them some extra time off or things of that nature. Okay. Now, you led perfectly into this discussion of um, COVID relief. How exactly can that work? Uh, as far as... Um, For somebody uh, who contracts COVID, um, they need time off. Sure. So, so the the, the, the so uh, federally, federally it expired. So you have to look at the state ones. Now, federally, given what's going on with the upswing, maybe maybe uh, a new law will be passed uh, eventually. But as far as like where I practice in New York State, you're entitled to COVID leave to the extent that you contract COVID, and it depends upon the amount of money your employer makes and how many employees you have. So, you know, for example, here in New York, if you have more than 100 employees, you'd have to provide uh, your employee with 14 days of leave. And there's uh, there's been policy also that you know, if someone uses that 14 days of leave, they come back and two weeks later they get COVID again, 
they could act, they're still entitled to that court COVID leave for 14 days, could be used up to three times. And that doesn't even take it away from the required New York State sick leave uh, that recently passed uh, within the last few months. So it gets very tricky. There's a lot of leave that the employees are entitled to. And listen, it's rightfully so. Employees get sick. You want to make sure that they, they can be taken care of. You want to make sure that they have some job security. Um, I understand the reasoning behind it. However, as a business owner, to the extent that you could prevent that from happening in that you're encouraging your employees to get vaccinated, it would be a very wise thing to do. Now, if an employee has an adverse reaction to the vaccine, is that something that could be considered um, compensable under a worker's compensation claim? Uh, no, not, not under worker's compensation. There might be a disability policy uh, that could potentially pick it up. Uh, but, um, you know, worker's compensation, you know, as far as COVID, the claims that have that I've seen filed for workers' compensation generally is when there's a major exposure in the office, and it's a reasonable argument to say that the that that, that the location of where the person got COVID was in the office. But usually, you have to have a, a pretty major outbreak. If one person here or there has COVID, it can be very difficult to pinpoint that is the that is the, that it happened in in their employment. Workers' compensation is generally, in layman's term, uh, some type of injury or condition that you were suffered while at work. So, for example, if you're hurt, you know, if you're hurt or something at home, you don't have a workers' compensation claim. If your work, if if you're hurt, you know, you twist your ankle, you, whatever it might be at work, you're entitled to workers' compensation. Okay. Employer mandated or sponsored vaccinations. Can they result for businesses in employment practices liability exposure? Chances are no. Okay, the, the, the only you know workers' compensation is there to basically end any type of direct litigation against your employer. So if you feel like you've been injured in the workplace, your sole remedy is workers' compensation. Now. There's always the potential if you're a customer and not an employee, and as a customer, you feel like you went into a certain location or a restaurant and you found out there's been a blanket uh, exposure to COVID and a number of people got ill, um, there could potentially be a direct claim uh, of liability, but it could be, I haven't really seen those cases. I think we would have seen them by now, now that it's been, you know, a year and a half or so that it's been around. Uh, I think that's going to be very difficult to prove because it's such a contagious virus. It's almost impossible to pinpoint where anybody picks it up. For employers, can an employer ask pre-screening questions before vaccinating employees? Are they allowed to? Well, they, they really shouldn't because then you're potentially getting into disability discrimination, uh, genetic information discrimination. Really, the, the employer has a right to ask 
have you been vaccinated? The employer has to has the right to request proof from the employee to show that they're vaccinated if they say they are vaccinated. If someone is not vaccinated and the employee responds they're not vaccinated, the employer really shouldn't ask, well, why are you not vaccinated? Because that could get into problems. People have asked me, well, if the employer asks for proof, isn't that a HIPAA violation? And the answer is no. HIPAA violations are disclosures by a medical provider, people who are covered by HIPAA. So if the employer contacts an employee's physician without the employee's consent, and the physician goes and sends them their chart or a vaccination record, then the medical provider, uh, they are in violation of HIPAA. But an employer is well within their rights to ask the employee. There's no HIPAA violation there. If the employee complies, uh, there's no HIPAA laws that would protect the employee uh, where the employee can say, well, I'm not going to give that to you. That's a HIPAA violation. So people kind of misunderstand what, what HIPAA really means. For employers, again, this, there are people on both sides of the employment situation listening to our discussion today. For employers, in uh, a workplace COVID-19 vaccination plan, should they be including contractors and temporary employees? Uh, the, the answer is yes. Uh, you know, you, you want to, I mean, you know, you, you have certain discretion. I mean, temporary employees are still employees. Contractors, you don't necessarily have to, but it's a good idea to uh, because, if an employee is unvaccinated and you find that they're a threat to your workforce and you're concerned about losing workers due to COVID-19, a contractor coming in is the same threat as an employee would be. Um, so you can create a blanket policy requiring everybody who enters a facility or doing business with your company be vaccinated and show proof of their vaccination. Are they 100% required to? No, there's absolutely no requirement. Again, anything that's illegal really does to, really is to singling out a protected class. For some strange reason, if employer says, okay, uh, if you're black, uh, you have to be vaccinated, everybody else doesn't, that's a clear violation, that's a clear case of uh, discrimination uh, for race and color. Um, outside something like that, employers are pretty much free to make rules relating to vaccinations as long as it's a blanket policy. You don't want to single people out. Now, if an employee alleges an unsafe workplace as a result of contact with an unvaccinated co-worker, would insurance coverage apply then? Insurance coverage uh, may apply. It really depends on the facts and circumstances behind it. Uh, here in New York, uh, Governor Cuomo passed uh, the HERO Act. Uh, the HERO Act requires uh, the employees meet with the employer, and in some cases have the employee run the meeting and discuss uh, issues of safety uh, relating to social distancing and masks, having sanitizing stations, giving breaks for washing hands. So the, to the extent, at least here in New York, 
which is where I practice, if an employer is not following those steps, they could be reported and they could be subjected to fines uh, and penalties. Um, you know, as far as uh, an employee feeling unsafe and then contracting the virus, I, I you know, they, they are going to be covered by the COVID leave, as we described uh, earlier in the program. Uh, but as far as uh, making some type of claim for insurance, I, I'd say it's, it's pretty unlikely. And then we get into the other question that comes up very often when people talk about this idea of returning to uh, workplace situations. What rights are there for employees and also, I guess, for employers when a decision is made about um, basically keeping vaccinated employees in one area those who are unvaccinated in another. Is that legal in the same workplace? It, it absolutely is legal. Uh, it, it goes to the same concept uh, as we discussed, which is the unvaccinated is not a protected class. Employers are allowed to make a decision for the safety of their workplace as long as it's not geared towards one protected class which that, in that situation it would not be. So employees really would not have many rights it, to the extent that employers want to separate vaccinated versus unvaccinated. The only caveat is, let's say we're in a situation where the employer says, okay, I want, I want unvaccinated people are welcome into the office, unvaccinated people have to stay home or they're fired, you have to, again, watch out for those employees who have some type of disability where it's not really their choice. They can't get back the vaccination due to their disability. You don't want to discriminate based on a protected class. And one case of discrimination, even though it's not likely, one case of discrimination can cost an employer attorney's fees, not only for their themselves, but for the plaintiff. It could uh, result in a back pay award. It could result in reinstatement of the employee. It could result in punitive damages and pain and suffering damages. So it could be very costly to an employer who doesn't uh, heed this advice by, by discovering if an employee can't take the vaccine because of a disability uh, they better look into potentially making a reasonable accommodation for that employee and having them as an exception to the rule for those who just choose not to get vaccinated. Jonathan, what we'll do is take a pause in our discussion with you and come back. We've got a lot more to get to, and we're going to have an interesting twist as we um, shift into the uh, home stretch portion of our program. Anne Liguori is along talking golf after a look around the sporting world at 7 o'clock this Sunday morning. Interesting discussion we're having with Jonathan Bell on our program. John Bell is an employment attorney, jobs expert, founder of Bell Law Group on the web at Bell, L-G, B-E-L-L-L-G, always one word, dot com. He has uh, joined us on our program. Ann Liguori is along with the Talking Golf program after our look around the sporting world at 7 this morning. We now move into an area that um, some of the people listening to our discussion may have in some of the publicity surrounding this case, because there's a lawsuit that was filed in um, Suffolk County on Thursday of this week, I believe it was, 
and this involves um, a case that obviously you're very familiar with. Uh, would you tell us about this young man from Long Island who was fired from a job um, because of his colostomy bag? Is that right? Yeah. So, so my client, uh, Ryan Pacheco, uh, applied to work at a Burger King uh, in the end of June. Uh, he disclosed the fact that he has a colostomy bag uh, as a result of a, 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 a disability that he had from the time that he was born. So this is a young man, 20 years old. He's been dealing with this at 20, since for 20 years. And you could imagine how difficult that, that could have been when he was in elementary school and as a child growing up. Uh, however, uh, you know, he took it in stride. He's a uh, very courageous young man. I don't know that I would be as courageous as he was when he was uh, at 20 years old. Uh, he uh, started the job uh, this past July, July 2nd. He was working there for part of the day. A, uh, an assistant manager noticed that his uniform shirt was untucked. She asked uh, Ryan to tuck it in, and Ryan said that he has a medical device that he can't tuck in his shirt. So the assistant manager went back and didn't do anything about it. A few hours later, they called Ryan into the office and said, you know, what's going on? What's the medical device? He said, you know, it's a colostomy bag. So uh, the assistant manager said, well, you can't work around food if you have that bag. So Ryan said, are, are you firing me? And she said, yes, uh, we have to let you go. Uh, so you could finish out the day and then you could leave. Um, what a horrible uh, decision that this assistant manager made. And I don't blame her as much as I would blame Burger King for not training their managers and supervisors with respect to the requirements under the Americans with Disability Act and the New York State Division of Human Rights. This is the simplest form of a reasonable accommodation, which is basically allowing him to work with an untucked shirt. Other than that, he can perform the essential functions of his job. He didn't need anything else. Uh, saying that you, you, if you have a colostomy bag, you can't work with food is very naive. It shows that there was no research done as to the cleanliness of these bags, that uh, there's, it's highly unlikely that this bag would ever leak. And the fact that Ryan has lived with it for 20 years, he knows how to maintain it very, very well, where there would be zero issue. To the extent that they believe there'd be any issue at all, Burkin could have engaged in an interactive process, which were the, were the required to do under the law, which is have some discussion uh, maybe offer, offer him a position that doesn't have to do with the handling of food, which still would be discriminatory, but at least it would be better than uh, a, a termination uh, after a day, which, by the way, he still hasn't been paid for. So I find that, you know, when you have a 20-year-old kid, I mean, I, I look at 20 years old still being a kid who had to, had, had to deal with this his whole life, and then he's out in the adult world trying to get a job and trying to support himself and to be felt, to be treated the way that he did and the feelings that he had as a result is, is indescribable. So it's really one of those cases. I'm, I'm so happy he came to my firm. Uh, I do a lot of disability discrimination work. I'm, I'm a, a board member of the Long Island Center for Independent Living, 
is something that uh, I'm very, very passionate about. And at the end, I just want employers to understand how to treat somebody with a disability, not to be naive, not to stereotype, and to understand their responsibility to give people a reasonable accommodation, engage in the interactive process, and do the right thing for these employees and allow them to perform the essential functions of the job. And by the way, uh, Bob, just so you know, he worked at McDonald's uh, a couple years back uh, when he lived in Florida, and they thought he was an exemplary employee, which he was. Interesting. Very interesting. So this gets into a number of areas. Um, the first one gets into this whole idea about whether or not it's legal for the company to fire him for a disability. When you use that term reasonable accommodation, we've heard this an awful lot over the years with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Generally speaking, do you feel that there is um, good understanding of what that actually means on the part of most employers? I find that there is a horrible understanding of, of what that really means. Everybody knows the phrase, but nobody knows what they're required to do. This is a major company like Burger King. I guarantee, Bob, that this happens over and over again, almost on a daily basis, where employees don't even know to contact a lawyer to learn what their rights are. But the problem is, is that sometimes it's buried in a manual that's not followed, or it's not in, in an employee manual or employer manual at all. Uh, uh, you know, uh, reasonable accommodation, you know, when, when someone requests a reasonable accommodation, if they have a disability, you have to look at the job duties and functions and look at what the essential functions of the job are. Then you've got to determine, based on the disability, can the employee perform the essential functions of the job, and can they do it either with or without a reasonable accommodation? If they're requesting an accommodation, of course their accommodation has to be reasonable. It can't be burdensome, uh, unduly burdensome to the employer. Uh, but at the end of the day, if there's a minor accommodation that's not burdensome to the employer, uh, the employer has to give it to the employee, and then the employee needs to be able to perform the essential functions of the job. For example, a very simple accommodation a lot of times is when someone works at a desk, if they have back issues, to get them an ergonomic chair. If somebody has issues with their wrist, like carpal tunnel syndrome, and they're required to type, to get them a different type of keyboard. Those are the simple forms. This is even simpler. The, the Burger King didn't have to spend any money. Just let the guy work having an untucked shirt. That's all they had to do. It didn't cost them any additional money. It's not unduly burdensome. There's no issues regarding contamination of food that was all made up in somebody's head because they're naive and they don't understand what having this type of bag really means. So uh, based on that, I find this to be an excellent, very straightforward uh, case of discrimination. And I'm looking forward to working with Burger King at the end of the day to make sure that they implement the right policy for each franchise to understand to understand these requirements under the law. Well, I mean, is that is that the hope is to to change policy on the part of Burger King? In addition, I'm I'm assuming to getting Ryan back. The job? 
Yeah, at this point, I think Ryan is so upset that I don't think that he wants the job back, to be quite honest with you. That might be relief he's seeking. Uh, after some time has passed, he is um, very emotional about this whole situation, uh, understandably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yes, any settlement that's going to be entered into, there would be a requirement for nationwide uh, training and uh, basically to revamp their policy with respect to people's employees with disabilities in the workplace. So basically this could wind up being a landmark case. A hundred percent. And there is nothing, no example similar to this that you ever heard of? Not that I've seen. Uh, not that I've seen involving a colostomy bag uh, in the workplace for people serving food. I haven't seen it yet. It might exist on a national level, uh, but from my research so far, I haven't seen it. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing the information on that. I certainly wish um, Ryan the best as he moves forward. Um, It's an incredible story. Um, And thank you for sharing the information that you have with us uh, today. There's a lot that we've covered in uh, this discussion. For people who are listening to our discussion today who some of them may want to be directly in contact uh, with you, with your firm, how do they reach you? A very simple, easy number to remember if you're driving. You don't have to write it down, 855-JOHN-BELL, J-O-N-B-E-L-L. Also, if you Google my name, you can get to my website. You can send me a quick email, um, jb at belllg.com. And, uh, Bob, I could tell you that uh, I always enjoy – this might be the fourth or fifth time I'm doing your show. Uh, I always enjoy these discussions with you. Um, You're certainly uh, a legend here. And I very much uh, appreciate you and the information you bring out to your listeners. Uh, I hope that you continue for many, many years to come. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. And thank you very much for your time as well. Stay well. Thank you, Bob. Hopefully you enjoyed our discussion with Jonathan Bell uh, this morning on our program. Um, BellLG.com is a website. We will see you next Sunday morning, bright and early at uh, 6 o'clock. Long after our look around the sporting world here at the top of the hour is uh, Anne Liguori. Now, she can do many things because she's a very versatile individual. But the most important thing for this time on a Sunday morning, I've thought about this for a long time. The most important thing she can do for us right now is to roll out that fabulous Talking Golf program. And believe me, it's a fabulous program. Talking Golf is along after our look around the sporting world, right here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here 
on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 